Hey everyone, thanks for joining us this morning. We're gonna have a bit of a different kind of time together. Um, in our live services, we're doing communion and you could well imagine not always the easiest thing to do online together. And so um, there's a portion of what we're gonna be doing in our live services that I think is valuable for, for us even here in our online experience. We, um, at various parts throughout church history, human history, uh, we find that there's divisions, there's factions, there's people who are, are not wanting to reconcile to each other. Um, it, it's interesting to me when, when these things are mentioned specifically in the scriptures because it is like for, for all time, that point forward, uh, that names get called out um, and will always be remembered for their division. There's a story of, a, of these two ladies, one's named Yodia and the other one is Syntyche. And Paul pleads with them to be reconciled to each other. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us whether or not they ended up being reconciled. Um, but for the last 2,000 years, we, we understood that Yodia and Syntyche were in conflict with each other. And Paul, from a distant uh, location, was pleading with them to be reconciled to each other. Conflicts happen. Um, and division happens as well. I believe it's a result of the fall. We have our thoughts, we have our opinions, we have our desires. And those people who don't share those things with us, we have a tendency not to do well with them. And, uh, and so as we talk about communion, um, Paul addresses this within the Corinthian church as well. The Corinthian church was in a metropolitan area. This is in, in Greece. And they were known for being a, a young, struggling church. Um, and they struggled with all kinds of things. But one of the things they struggled with was definitely their ability to be able to maintain the unity within the body. I don't know if that sounds familiar or resonates with you at all, but I, I, I believe that there is this reorienting that Paul does with them. And, and he seem, this seems to be a real key theme for Paul throughout the epistles. He, uh, he's regularly writing about unity of the body of believers. And I think partly because unity was so important to Jesus, right? I mean, John 17, he says, Father, they, they may be one as we are one. Um, and that our unity, he says in John 17, will be evidence that he was sent by the Father. And so unity within the body of believers is paramount. He makes us one uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we are one. There's one spirit. We are, there's one baptism. And uh, quite frankly, we just, we don't get to do anything at all to counteract that. And anything that we do that takes away from the unity of the body, well, that's just sin. And it's present in my life. And I'm sure it's present in your life. And so this morning, I want to spend some time just looking at what Paul said about specifically communion, um, but the idea that, that part of what communion is, and certainly not the most significant, but part of what communion is, 
Yeah. It's a solidarity with each other. That this is something that only we as believers get to do with each other as we remember the Lord's death. And as a matter of fact, it's an act of proclamation where it says, and every time we eat of his bread or drink of his cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And so it, there's this we language and we do this and we do that. And there's a unity that is represented when, when we participate in communion as well because we're all unified by that gospel message. We're all unified by the work of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11, um, <clears throat> Paul gives instructions on, on how to do communion. He says, so then whoever eats the, <clears throat> excuse me, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Just think about that for a second. If we do this in an unworthy manner, we're sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread or drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many of you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep. And the language of fallen asleep in this context is a euphemism for death. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not finally be condemned with the world. So then, brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it does not result in judgment. So, Paul likely um, gave some personal or personally led communion for the Corinthian church at some point. Um, he definitely likely directed it. The church had badly twisted this practice. You see, there was a there was a division that was taking place within the church as it related to those who were rich and those who were poor. In verse 17 and 18, it says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. They would be better off not holding their services at all than going and, and, and participating in something that was creating divisions among them. The problem is, in this context, there were people who were hogging the food and people who were deliberately coming hung hungry and were being gluttonous with the food. And so you had this lack of serving and this uh, greedy action that was taking place. And so because of this, they divided amongst themselves. Those who were eating and drinking excessively while refusing to share their food with others were making a mockery of what was supposed to be this solemn act, this beautiful memorial act. So Paul's corrective is first, eat something at home if someone is greedily hungry. That's verse 26 and 34. So that everyone would have enough to have the shared meal together. And this, the idea here is that everyone would be able to have enough. And then the meals that are shared by the whole assembly, people are to give regard to others to ensure that everyone gets something to eat. So you don't get to hoard it. 
We need to share it. We don't get to greedily attack it, but we need to make sure that we're making sure that everybody else gets it. So the idea here is that we are to give allowance for each other. We're to give concern for each other. We need to look to each other's interests, not to our own or only our own. And so Paul emphasizes this in Romans. He emphasizes it to the Corinthian church here. And then finally, Paul gives a solemn warning against observing communion uh, improperly. And since improper observance has resulted in deaths and illness for many of the Corinthians, Paul is, is saying, listen, get your heart right. Like, examine yourselves. Because God takes the abuse of the Lord's Supper seriously. It's not just some simple little thing that we do. It's a big deal to God. It's a memorial act of His saving work. And so we're to examine ourselves before we take communion to make sure that what we're doing here, um, we have that right heart, we have that right standing with the Lord. And so before we very quickly point fingers at other people saying, yes, you need to do this differently or you need to do that differently, you better remember that Paul says that we are to examine ourselves, not each other. And it's easy for us when we think of these things to point fingers at each other. That's not what Paul's doing here. He says, listen, every single one of us needs to do a heart check on this. And we need to align ourselves properly so that there won't be divisions, so that there won't be factions among us. And so there is this language of introspection that I think is important. David in Psalm 51, probably one of the most heart-wrenching psalms because this is um, this is immediately following Nathan approaching David and, and letting David know, hey, the Lord knows what you've done here with Bathsheba. The Lord knows what you've done here with her husband Uriah. And Paul's, or sorry, uh, David's cry out to the Lord reads like this, Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a, right, a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And so you have this heart that comes from David in the midst of his sin. And, and let's, let's be clear. When we lead into division, when we buy into factions within the body of believers, that's sin. Because we're called into unity. Not uniformity, unity. Which means we're going to give allowance for each other. We're not going to think ill of each other. We're going to be for each other, not against each other. But we may not always agree on things. But even within our disagreement, we choose love. And so anything opposed to that is sin. John even says in 1 John that those who do not love their brother do not love God because the love of God is not in them. And so this idea of how we are with each other matters. He says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. And so it's this idea that as we come to him in humility and recognition of, you know, just the reality that none of us have it all together. And coming to him and saying, okay, Lord, 
I need to get right with you. God won't reject that. So let's spend some time looking at what getting right with God is like. I just, I'm just going to read a couple of passages here and, and give a few thoughts. I should tell you, I actually don't have a big plan out for, the, for this. Um, but this has been weighing on my heart a lot. And so I think it begins with, um, with a lot of remembering. And, and so I think it would be safe to say something like, like, remember who holds you. Remember who's got you. Psalm 91, verse 1 and 2, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust in whom I trust. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. You ever spend a significant amount of time thinking about how good God is to you? The fact that we can count on him for anything. The fact that, that, like there's nothing that we can do to make him love us more and nothing we have done that would make him love us less. That God chose to love us while we were yet enemies of his. And some passages will say, while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us, right? And so this action on our behalf is not just God's activity on our behalf, but his ability and capacity to be able to sustain us we're receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken. He's our refuge. He's our strength. I think part of our world today, maybe not just today, maybe any time that we're feeling any kind of disruptive stuff, I think we sometimes forget that God's got this. Right? And, and so then we, we push and we say, something's got to change and something's got to be different. And we push and we push and we push. And we go down this rabbit hole of things that we think agree with us. When really what we need to do is just take a pause, take a step back and say, okay, God, like you've got this. Help me to keep my trust in you rather than in my own thinking. Help me to keep my trust in you rather than whatever my righteous indignation is at this point. I think part of getting right with God is considering, contemplating, focusing on His goodness in our lives. I think we need to remember the grace we received. Ephesians 2, 1 to 5. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions. He's talking to the church. He's talking to you and me. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and the following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ 
even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You know, when I read a passage like this, and as I'm thinking about the goodness of God in my life, and I read a passage like this, and I sit there and I'm like, Rob, like, what did you do to earn your salvation? Nothing. Because I can't. And so when I think about God's goodness, it leads me to His grace and the recognition that, man, like I've got this gift that I get from the Lord, this thing called grace and salvation that comes when I receive that grace. And I just, again, that introspective, that examining of self that Paul calls us into, I would encourage you to remember what Jesus has done for you and, and just like spend some time thanking Him for it. And, and then I would say this. Spend some time thanking Him uh, for the grace that we receive, but also to help us to remember to be agents of grace to others. You see, I actually believe quite strongly, and I believe that there's biblical evidence for to support it, that wherever there are factions and divisions amongst the church, there's a lack of grace towards each other. There's a lack of love towards each other. And so I'm going to start using a word here that, that can trip some people up sometimes. And the word is repent. Now, the language of repent in the scripture is... Uh, it's all-encompassing. It's not just change your mind. That's a very Greek way to look at it. And, and Paul was not Greek. Paul was Jewish. And so when Paul talks about repent, Paul is using a military term from the Roman army, which Rome would come in, they would conquer uh, an opposing army, and any of the survivors, they would give the opportunity to say, okay, you can now join Rome's army, and in doing so, that is an act of repentance. You are turning away completely, wholly from what you were, and you're entering into something new. You are turning your back on this, and you're facing now this. You are doing something different, but it's your whole being. It's not just your thinking. It's your entire being, your actions, your attitudes, your, your heart, your thoughts, all of it changes. So repent of anything that causes you to take your grace for granted or causes you not to allow grace in other people's lives and to be an agent of that grace. We've got to extend it. We receive it. But you've got to remember that God's not just interested in giving things to you. He, he wants to give it through you as well. And maybe... Maybe we need to capture that a little stronger, right? He doesn't want to just give to us. He wants to give through us. And so the love we receive is a love we extend. The grace we receive is the grace we extend. The forgiveness we receive is the forgiveness we extend. We got to repent of anything that causes us to not do that. Repent. We got to remember being changed. Matthew 5, 13 to 16, you are the salt of the earth, but the salt loses its saltiness. How can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town on a hill is not, cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, 
They put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Like we are a, we're a chosen people. We're like this, we're this royal priesthood. We're different. We're something completely different now. And we got to remember this because to be a royal priesthood, we had a speaker in our church who reminded us that to be a royal priesthood is that we are the priests to the world. We're this royal priest. We are God's ambassadors to the world. We are salt as a preservative in these days. And, and so when you're the salt of the earth, you are a preservative, like you bring life to the world. We offer light where there's darkness. We're different. And any time we begin to look more and more like the world, we look less and less like Jesus. And when we look less and less like Jesus, we're divided and we sin and we give allowance, we give ourselves permission to sin. We've got to get our hearts right. This is not how it's supposed to be. So ask yourself, if you're a light in the dark that expresses the gospel to the world, is that who you are? Because that's who God says you are. Is it? Is that who we are? Is that what we're doing? Because it needs to be. And I would just encourage you to spend some time praying to God that, that He would help you overcome whatever hurdles it is you need to overcome to be that person that he's made you, that he's called you into being, to be that light, to be a better representative of him and repent of any thinking that causes you to avoid being a priest to the world. Repent of any thinking that causes you to not be light in dark places. Repent of fear, repent of harsh attitudes, repent of judgment, repent of selfishness, whatever it is that prevents us from being this light in dark places so that we are light in dark places. And then we get to the place of unity. As we walk this forward, we, we remember God's goodness. We remember grace. We remember that we're changed. We're something different. And then in this difference, there is this unity. Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, urge you, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Like this, it's a plea. 
It's a plea to the church. Do this. Be something other. Don't follow the patterns and the customs of the world, as Romans 12 tells us. Unity is hard. And we often insist on our own opinion, and, and sometimes we only care about our own affairs. See, there's, there's competition, there's pride, there's strife, there's division, there's conflict among us. Like all these things are true. You know, the world looks at us and, and then they throw out the word hypocrite. And yeah, I mean, if we're honest, we're all hypocrites to some level or another. And quite frankly, there isn't a person on the planet that isn't a hypocrite. But we're held to something more. There's an assumption, both, I believe, inside the church and outside the church, that we're going to look more like Jesus. And when we don't, it hurts people. It hurts us. And so there's this idealistic view of what the church should be that we need to pursue, recognizing that we're still a flawed people. And in that, Paul challenges us to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. And, and, and then he begins to describe what that looks like. And, and it, living a life worthy of the calling we've received is to be completely humble, is to be completely gentle, is to be patient. It is to bear with each other in love. And to bear with each other means that we give allowance for each other. To bear with each other means that you recognize that I don't have it all together. I'm going to make mistakes and you're going to offer me grace in it. And I will do exactly the same for you. And as we do this in love, as an act of our love to each other, there'll be a greater sense of unity and it'll be a contagious community. So what needs to happen in your life in order for that to take place? My encouragement to you would be repent of anything that you are contributing to disunity. You know, including ignoring the issue altogether. Including and ignoring the issue altogether. Unity is a big deal. Um, remember that as a people set apart by God. And remember that we are in the world, not of the world. 1 John 2, 15 to 16. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. 1 Peter 2, 11 to 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that He visits us. Where there's division, factions, um, we can certainly be accused of doing wrong. And one of the things that, that the non-believing world, the pagans, right, uh, say of us they accuse us of disunity. They accuse us of lacking love. They accuse us of just being judgmental and these kinds of things. But at the same time, I think if we're honest, we're also some of the very first people they go to when they need donations for something. 
our acts of love and kindness do speak to the goodness of who God is. But my encouragement to you here would be this. To remember that if we're honest with ourselves, we're, we're lured by selfish desires, pursuing the vanity that the world offers, the power that can come from it, the wealth that can come from it, the pleasure, the indulgence. We're lured in by these things. In us are found self-centeredness, self-righteousness, indifference, carelessness, fear of men. We need to repent of these things. And begin to look a lot more like Jesus and a lot less like the world. So maybe that. Like, let's evaluate that. How much do you look like the world versus how much you look like Jesus? Take an honest internal look at that. I am not thrilled with what I see in myself when I reflect on that honestly. I just want to be more and more like him. It's just a better way to repent of allowing the things of the world to be more to you than they should. Be in it. Don't be of it. Remember purpose. Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Again, reflectively, I, I just, I ask God to take my whole being and everything within me. Like I asked that he would help me draw close to him and to consider what it means for me to take up my cross and follow him. To run after him, to share the gospel with, with those who are poor and needy and hopeless and, 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 and with the wealthy and whoever else, like every single person on the planet needs to hear this good news. Gotta remember my purpose. And my purpose is to live a it's to live a life that reflects his will, his purposes, his desires for the world around us. I mean, there is no greater purpose in life than helping people come into right relationship with Jesus. I mean, that's what we're all about here at our church. We want to help those far from God come to know life in Christ. And the people far from God, that could be anybody. That could be the believer who grew up in the church, grew up in the faith all their life, and for whatever reason they feel distant from God, they need life in Christ. It could be the person who's never made a decision for Jesus at all. They absolutely need life in Christ. That's our purpose. To introduce people to the life-saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Period. That's, that's got to be the thing that undergirds everything that we do. 
And it always has to be part of our, of our thinking, whether it's in our families, our workplaces, our, our friendships, or our acquaintances, whatever it is, our social media, whatever we do needs to draw people to the throne, draw people to the heart of Jesus, not to my opinion, not to my preference, not to my disgruntled words. Because those just lead to disunity. Those lead to divisions. Those lead to factions. I'm not saying we shouldn't have opinions. Of course we're going to have opinions. But we don't get to take away from what Jesus made. In his one. In his one. So here we are. I got nothing left here. We just got to get our hearts right. Like, just take a look at it. Are we accusing people? Are we pointing fingers? Are we dividing relationships because of whatever kinds of disagreements we have? That's not what Jesus called us into. At all. He called us out of that. And you see, that's the patterns and customs of the world that we have. It's not ours. The world divides itself by borders. The world divides itself by ethnicities and nationalities. But Jesus brings us together and says there's no longer any Jew or Gentile, no longer, like slave or free or male or female. Like He brings us to a place of unity. and That's a different way. So take it in. I'll, I'll put these passages online for you to pour over. But we are called to something more. And we're called to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. That calling that was based on the grace of God given to us through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we are to proclaim that good news. Nothing nothing should be more important to us than that. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for our time. And Lord, you, do, you need to do with this whatever it is you need to do with this. I thank you, Lord, for how you are uh, trying to weave it in my heart. And I just pray, Lord, that this gets woven in other people's hearts as well. You call us into something different. You're so good. When our world around us seems so unstable, we know that we are inheriting a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that you are our God, you are our refuge, you are our strength. I thank you for that. I pray, Jesus, that, that we would really take a time of reflection and repentance, straighten our hearts out with you, so that we can live this life worthy of the calling. In your holy and precious name I pray. Amen.